Hey guys, we are in a new sermon series called I Am, and today we are going through the attributes of who Jesus is. I, I realize that one of the biggest uh, issues that we have in the church sometimes is not knowing who the real Jesus is. So therefore, that reflects a weak faith. Weak theology leads to weak practice. By discovering your identity and who Jesus is, in his beauty and majesty, you can live out your destiny and experience the abundant life of joy and peace and purpose and hope. So the title of my sermon today is, I Am Servant. This comes out of Matthew 20, 28. So let me just read that for you. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We live in an individualistic society where it's all about your needs and your wants and your happiness. You are your own king above all. It's building your own kingdom, making your name great. And what Jesus is going to show us today is that the kingdom of God is totally different. It's not about self-promotion, but it's about kingdom promotion. It's not about self ambition or self-praise or self-exaltation, but it's about sacrifice and humility and a laying down your life for those around you. The world says, make your name great. While Jesus says, no, 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 lay down your life for those around you. The world says, build your kingdom through riches and materialism and beauty and your children. But Jesus says, carry your cross and die for my sake. The world says, be your own king. But Jesus says, the first will be last and the last will be first. The world says, promote yourself and do whatever it takes to seek success. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you're going to, be having, you're going to have to be willing to give all of that up for my sake. A lot of you guys already might know this passage that comes out of Matthew 20, 28 that I just read. But I want to give you a more robust context of what the scriptures are saying. Because context is key. It doesn't necessarily matter what my personal thoughts are or what my, uh, necessarily my illustrations are, but what matters is what God is saying in his word through the authors that he's inspired so that we can, uh, we can read and see what God wants us to see in the scriptures. So I'm actually going to start in verse 17, a few verses back and read that for you guys. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. And so for the third time uh, in this gospel, Jesus shares how he's going to be crucified and condemned and put to death by the chief, uh, chief uh, scribes and Pharisees during that time. And the scribes and Pharisees, they were just expert law keepers. They were the religious astute. They were very self-righteous and proud. They were following God's rule in order to get favor, not doing it for God himself. And there's no mention in any of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, or John, where Jesus shares that he's about to be condemned and crucified on the cross, where the disciples show empathy or they show grief. 
I mean, Jesus is, these are his closest companions that he's eaten with, he slept in close proximity with, he suffered with, he's doing ministry with. And he just poured out uh, a foreshadow of his death and sacrifice. But yet they go to him and they ask him for something else. They had a different agenda. Jesus in that moment was a means to an end. And you'll see right here in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with their sons. And kneeling before him, they asked him something. So Jesus just shares how he's about to be sacrificed and condemned to a cross. They don't even acknowledge that. And they go to him and they ask him for something to meet their own personal agenda. They lost sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys have spent years being a follower of Jesus, yet you've missed the glorious beauty and wonder and awe of what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Do you often only go to him when you need something? A lot of your prayers might be like that. God, I need this. God, I need that. You don't go to him just because he's your wonderful savior. You don't go to him because he's your prince of peace. You don't bow at his feet because he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. But you reduce him to a cosmic Santa Claus. He's someone there just to answer your prayers. He's someone there to serve you instead of you serving the king of kings. What are most of your prayers filled with? Are they filled with requests? Are they also filled with praise and adoration and thanksgiving and confession? What you pray for mostly is telling of your relationship and who you think Jesus is. Then verse 21, it says, And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. The mother here had the wrong approach to the kingdom of God. She was talking about her two sons, John and James. They're more interested in self-promotion, self-greatness, self-glory, rather than the upside-down kingdom of humility and sacrifice. Their motive was not to be more in the glorious presence of God in heaven, to make Jesus' name known, but they wanted the highest seats of honor and praise so that their name could be great. We can read uh, people trying to be great and pride stemming right from the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 3, we have Adam and Eve who are right in front of the tree where the snake comes in, uh, tells them a bunch of lies and says, you can be like gods. You can be great. And Adam and Eve they disobey and they eat from the tree because they want to be great. They want to be God. Tower of Babel. We have the descendants of Noah uh, who God rescued out of the flood. and But yet they say and they rebel by saying, come, let us build a tower that reaches the heavens. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. So self-greatness, self-promotion has been something there from the beginning of the Bible all the way even till now. To make your name great means to build your own kingdom. It's to be your own master. It's to run your life in the way that pleases you and makes you happy. Jesus is just someone there to meet your needs, 
in order to fulfill your own agenda. He's a means to an end. He's not an end in itself. You don't find him beautiful uh, for just being beautiful in what he's done for, uh, for us on the cross. But you use him in order to gain control of your life. You use him to meet your own agenda, your own needs. How many of you guys are using Jesus or living a life to make your name great? And I'm going to share a little inventory check. And I hope these speak to you. And I pray that the Spirit uh, will start to prune things out of your heart. Maybe after this with your R3 leader or uh, other Christian brothers and sisters that you can confess these sins and say, I've been really struggling with these. This message that God was speaking through the sermon uh, really spoke to me. And so I'm going to share a few things, uh, a little inventory check to see whether you're living for your name to be great or you're living for the King of Kings and to make his name great. Number one, do you surrender your finances to God? Do you give generously? Do you give to the church or are you saving up for yourself and are you mostly just spending on yourself? Do you invest in stocks or real estate or Bitcoin but you aren't investing in the kingdom by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you make the Lord's Day on Sunday a priority to be with the body of believers, listening to the word of God, worshiping with people, experiencing the abundant life? Or is your priority on that day uh, to skip church, to spend time with family or friends or to study? Are you working your job just to make money, to promote yourself, to, uh, to build your resume, to get ahead in life, to make your name great? Or are you there to be the light of Jesus? Are you there to make money so that you could steward your money for the kingdom, for kingdom resources, to be more generous? Are you dating somebody or are you married just for your own happiness? Or are you dating and are you married because you're Sole mission is to build your life around the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ and to live on mission for him, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Have your kids become a way to make your name great? Is it talk inside, if I'm only a good parent, if I raise my kids well, I have purpose, I have meaning? Or is your priority to disciple your kids in the word so that they can grow up to be sold out, blood-bought followers of Jesus so that they can make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. In that little inventory check, where do you stand? Making your name great or making Jesus' name great? What is your priority here? Because the kingdom of God is radically different from what the world tells us how we should live and what our destiny should be. Then verse 22, Jesus answers, says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink? The cup Jesus was talking about uh, was just in a few verses before that, Matthew uh, verse tw uh, chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. It's the cup of death, suffering and wrath. It was a losing of Jesus's life. It was a sacrifice that he was going to make. This is Jesus as servant. And he's the perfect example that we should live by. Philippians 2, 5, 8 is an amazing scripture verse that talks about 
Jesus being God, laying his life down and being a servant. So let me just read this for you guys. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And don't miss this part. Paul is saying that Jesus eternally existed with God the Father. He was equal in essence and power and glory and majesty. He was there when the universe and galaxies and stars and sun and planets were all created. He was in perfect relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all loving and serving each other perfectly. Then verse 7 says, But he emptied himself by taking a form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross to the point of death. Guys, Jesus humbled himself by leaving heaven to become flesh, to become killable for the first time in all of eternity for the sake of sinful human beings who deserved God's wrath and judgment and condemnation. He did this knowing some would still reject him. And even if some did reject, uh, uh, some accepted him, they would take his grace and granted, uh, they would take his grace and mercy for granted every day. Jesus was murdered on the cross and he was put on uh, inside of a tomb. But on the third day, he rose again, conquering death, Satan, sin, and hell. And if that is our truth, we proclaim that to the ends of the earth. This is what it means to be a servant in the kingdom of God. It's a laying down of your life, of your possessions, of your finances, of your comfort, of your materialism, your bank account, everything to the praise and honor and glory to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. You are not a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of heaven. And for those who are actually living on mission for Jesus, sacrificing, suffering, being persecuted for righteousness sake, I want to encourage you by reading a passage out of 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 19. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death of, uh, for the death of Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our moral flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also spoke, knowing that he has, who has raised Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. 
for it is all for your sake. So as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are not seen, to the thi- or we, we, we do not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So follower of Jesus, be encouraged by that. Go back to that scripture verse and read it and meditate on it. You are a servant, a slave of Christ who is a good master, but he is worth it. Then they say in the passage, after Jesus says, are you able to drink from this cup? They say, we are able. They really didn't understand what they were saying there. They wanted to be so great in the kingdom of God. They wanted to sit at the highest place of honor that they're basically willing to say yes to anything Jesus said. They are blinded by power, selfishness, and self-promotion. Then verse 23, it says, He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my... Oh, you'll drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is is not mine to grant. For it is those for whom it is being prepared by my Father. Jesus was saying these seats... We're not granted for those of selfish gain, but rather it would be up to the sovereign plan of God the Father. God chooses who he chooses. And he credits righteousness to who he credits righteousness. Then verse 24 says, because all the other disciples are, are there around them. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at these two brothers. The disciples weren't indignant Uh, which that word indignant means extreme anger or disgust. They weren't angry because James and John were being foolish and did not listen to to Jesus, but the 10 other disciples had selfish, the same selfish ambitions to be, to have the greatest seat. And so when they saw the other two brothers fighting for that, they got upset. We see in Mark 9, 33 and 34, They discussed with one another which of them was going to be the greatest. And during the Last Supper, we see in Luke uh, 22-24, they all arose again, disputing among them that who was going to be regarded as the greatest. All of them were guilty of the same pride, the same ego. They were trying to make their name great. Then verse 25, it says, But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercised authority over them. Jesus is saying every other king, King Pharaoh, Antiochus, the Herods, the Caesars, Pilate, all ruled with an iron fist. They ruled by oppressing people in corruption, in cruelty, in violence. They were drunk on self-glory, trying to make their name great. They were trying to build their own kingdom. But Jesus is about to flip the script and tell his disciples exactly what the kingdom, exactly what the kingdom of God looks like and what a citizen of heaven looks like. 
Verse 26, uh, 26, it says, it shall not be named among you. You're not going to be like those other leaders, but whoever shall be great among you must be your servant. So Jesus says, you're not going to be like all those oppressive leaders who are trying to build their own kingdom and trying to be a worldly citizen. But he says, this is what the kingdom citizen looks like. And it sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself by saying, here's how you be great. But he isn't talking about greatness in a worldly sense of self-promotion, self-ambition, self-pride. But this kingdom is a kingdom of greatness, a life being a pleasing aroma to God. What does that look like? Greatness in the world is about being served. But kingdom greatness is about serving. Greatness in the world is about self-exaltation. But kingdom greatness is about exalting Jesus, the name above all names. Greatness in the world is about worldly success, possessions, and materialism. But greatness in the kingdom is being filled or being willing to lose all of that for Jesus' sake. That's the difference between an earthly kingdom and a worldly kingdom. Between a worldly king and a kingly king the one who is calling us to live like him, Jesus Christ. Now we start to close in verse 27. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. A slave, or in the Greek it says doulos, someone who is owned by a master. They did what the master told them. They went where the master went. They obeyed the master at all times. This is why Apostle Paul sometimes addresses himself as slave or as a bondservant as, uh, in, of Christ. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you bear the same truth that the Apostle Paul did and all the other disciples uh, and how they lived their life after the resurrection. Jesus isn't like worldly masters who are going to oppress and be cruel and rule with an iron fist. But he is a good master, the caring shepherd, the comforter. Verse 28. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, who was God, did not count equality with God. It wasn't a thing to be grasped. He left heaven to lay his life down as a ransom payment for sinners who are on their way to hell. Me, you. Yes, Jesus died for your sins, but he also died so that you wouldn't face the condemnation and wrath of a just and righteous God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus as Lord. Jesus on the, cra- uh, on the cross bore your wrath and your condemnation so that now you can receive grace and mercy. Jesus on the cross bore all the weight of all of our sins and hells, so that now you can have eternal life. Jesus drank the full cup of wrath, so that now one day in heaven, you can drink from the everlasting river of God's love, peace, and hope. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You were bought with a price. If you are not a Christian and you're watching this, or maybe you're still kind of 
figuring out who this Jesus guy is or what the kingdom of God looks like, trying to figure out what your purpose or destiny is. Remember this, that you can store up all the treasures and all the riches and you can try to make your own name great and try to build your life and your kingdom here on earth, but it'll never be enough. And some of you guys already know what I'm talking about. You chase the things of the world like success, materialism, beauty, more Instagram likes, more posts about yourself, more success, more money in your bank account, more investment in crypto or Bitcoin or all that stuff, but you still feel empty. You don't feel fulfilled. Your heart is a cosmic void. And the only thing that is going to fill your heart is the love and sacrifice of Jesus being a servant, laying his life down for you. Only when you grasp that truth will your heart be fulfilled. You'll understand your identity because you know who Jesus is. And you'll be able to live out your destiny in purpose, in hope, in freedom, and in peace. If you are a follower of Jesus, continue to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, as Apostle Paul says. Fight the good fight. Finish the race strong. To be great in the kingdom of God is to be a servant for a good master, King Jesus. What a privilege. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate example of what it means to live as a servant in humility and sacrifice and giving it all up so that there could be a resurrection in our lives. Behold, the new is gone, the new has come. You've taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. Because of the gospel, we don't face God's wrath, but we have hope. We are citizens of, of kingdom. So Jesus, make us more like you every single day. My prayer is that we would look at you as servant, that we would see that in the beauty of the scriptures, in our prayers and creation and what you've done for us. And that would change our hearts to live more on mission for you, extending your grace, making your name known, and making disciples. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.